Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy and Joel, and you're listening to Revive Thoughts. By the true gospel of Christ, all these difficulties are taken away as the stone from the door of the tomb. Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today, we're going back to Germany in the mid-18th century to hear a sermon by Jared Gerhard Turgestein. 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 Now, to be honest, I don't, he's never introduced himself to me. So I don't, I don't know hundred percent if that's how his he actual, would say his name. Yeah. Yeah. He might, he might say it differently. Um, you know, with the German accent in the hundreds Tergistein. of years. Yeah, the listener, you know, the name is on the episode of the title. Write <laughs> and tell us how you would pronounce it. Yeah. Tell, us, if we're, ter, tell us how wrong we are. Uh, Joel, this is a great episode. Turgestein here um, is one of those guys that is completely forgotten by history. He's one of those people that we get to uncover and kind of discover together. He is, um, I, I just, I don't know. I love these episodes. One of the things I love about doing Revive Thoughts, you know, there's always people out there going, where can I listen to Spurgeon sermons? Where can I hear Jonathan Edwards' The Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? And yeah, we have those episodes. I love those episodes. But I also just love discovering these saints that were faithful to God that we will see in heaven someday that, you know, maybe there won't be as long a line at their table to see them. Um, but they're still wonderful men of God who I think deserve to be remembered, who are being remembered by God. And it's great that we get to kind of uncover them together. Yeah, yeah, that's what Revive Thoughts is all about. Oh, man, Troy, I am, if you can hear it in my voice, I am suffering from allergies more than I think I've ever in my life. I don't know what is going on in the Midwest in America right now, but like all of this hay fever slash ragweed, whatever it is, but my head feels like a thousand pounds and I have so much congestion. My eyes itch and it's awful. Let me tell you. You know, I want to laugh because allergies, they never, you know, when, you know, you know, one ever really feels that bad for allergies, but they, they definitely can be <laughs> a very unpleasant, unpleasant feel. They'll bother you, me almost more than a fever will to, if, yeah. if it's in the head area. Right. I remember you getting, I, I don't, it's something, I don't know how you get allergies as you get older because I mm-hmm. never used to have allergies, but now as I age, my body just gives up more and more yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I end up suffering. But I remember you, yeah, you had bad time with allergies. Oh, yeah. I, I always have. Allergies. I still do it. And the worst part for me is I'll get a sneeze and then I'll get caught on the second sneeze when allergy season's bad. I'm stuck just waiting for the sneeze to come out. I'll like pretend sneeze as if to like to trick the sneeze to know how to come out again. It's a horrible feeling. Um, and yeah, so I I want you to know that I do think I speak for the listeners when I say you sound like a million bucks. Yeah, we would never know you were you. you were stuffy and, and Thank sick. You. And I gross, don't know if I was so. coming across Ben nasally or not. Turgestine, 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 born in sixteen ninety seven, right at the end of the sixteen hundreds, going into the seventeen hundreds in Moors, which was a part of Prussia during this era, but now it's a part of Germany. And this part of uh, the area, this region, was very much Catholic during this era. But we are coming off the the, the Protestant Reformation here, and so his specific town, uh, he comes from this nice little Protestant family there. He went and studied at a local school in this town and uh, was being taught in the ways of classic literature 
but his father died and then he had to go and apprentice to become a, a merchant to, to provide for the family. And he was pretty successful at it. It was kind of a breakout business for him. Wasn't the route he planned to go down, wasn't, you know, with the education that he was hoping to have, um, but he became a pretty successful merchant and he could have lived his life happily like that, but uh, he felt God tugging at his heartstrings to go and, and search him out, go and seek him out. And so he left his successful merchant career behind to go see what God had in store for him. So in 1727, this part of Germany was undergoing a revival that was called radical pietism. These people were... Uh, excuse me, Troy, I think it's pietism, radical pietism. Is it actually, though? Because Actually, this is I mean, that's how, I, that's how I've heard it pronounced, pietism. Because <laughs> I even ran it by Elise. I said, is it pietus or pietus? And she said, no, no, too, no, no. That like, it was The pietus. Pope is pious, right? Yeah, yeah, but like I if, think... Let's, let's hit the YouTube real quick, because I genuinely... You're not that you're not saying something like, Oh, I, I'm fighting you. Like, genuinely, I mean, at least went back and forth on this too. I was like, <laughs> I think it's, I can't tell. I, was like, I feel like I've heard, I feel like I've heard it both ways. I am 99% sure that comes off as well. Let's hit it. Pietism. Well, he said pietism loud and clear. So Hot I will dog. switch up. I will, I will join you in camp pietism because who am I to question Brian Wolf? Oh man, Troy, right. this feels great. To, to know how to pronounce something? I, this, is this what you feel like all the time? Oh, my goodness. No, this, this is what so uh, my wife feels like all the time because <laughs> she cracks me on everything. Radical pietism. These people were upset with the way that the Lutheran denomination was running Germany at the time. They saw it as really not that different than what the Catholic Church had done. It was established. It was focused on rites and ceremony. And they believed it had lost the passion for God. This group was far more interested in heart change. The radical pietists were saying, we want heart change and we want conversion. And they wanted personal conversion, not your family was converted, so you're converted, but you made that decision yourself. They would devote themselves to Bible reading, fasting, prayer, wishing to see a change of heart, and having this feeling of the effects of grace on themselves. This group swept through Germany at the same time that the Great Awakening is kind of you know moving through the United States of America, of course, not yet called the United States of America. And you can see some similarities in the two movements with their interest in personal holiness and conversion. But there are differences too. A lot of the radical pietists would isolate themselves kind of almost like a monk away from the world to get uh, purified. There was a little bit more of a focus on workspace stuff. And they also did not believe in taking oaths. They were pacifists. Uh, today, the Evangelical Free Church is probably one of their biggest modern descendants. Yeah, so these ideas caught up with uh, Turgestine, and at the age of 30, he isolated himself away, you know, kind of adopted that monastic lifestyle to, quote, find God, was his wording there. And uh, people heard what he was doing, and so uh, eventually people would start to trickle out to ask spiritual advice on things, and he would do his best to answer these questions, and it became a little bit more and more popular, and people would come out, and he would spend his days counseling different people that would come and seek out his his wisdom, his his spiritual guidance, uh, which is great. But he's no longer isolated. You know, he's <laughs> he's turned from a monk to a uh, counselor. Essentially, is what it is what it kind of seems like. Which um, this happens if you look through the early church history when the church fathers would kind of go off to be by themselves. This yeah. seems to be a common basil. I think I'm remembering or Chrysostom. One of them goes to live in a cave for two years, and the same thing happens. Basically, like, I'm going to go to a cave, and everyone's like, "That's amazing that you'd want to go to a cave. You must be so spiritual. We're going to all follow you to the cave." It's kind of <laughs> what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a creative guy as well, right? So he's writing hymns. He's writing poems about God. 
A book of hymns would end up being popular in Germany at the time. Uh, we do have a sermon from him. I wish we had a hymn from him. <laughs> Write in your favorite Turgestine song that you're yeah. that you're singing and jamming to on a regular. That's the next show for the lineup, Revived Hymns. And we'll just have uh, me and you singing oh, old gosh. hymns. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, boy, that show will be, I think, a little bit less popular than this one. Just, <laughs> just a hair. Well, eventually, uh, he he would he would start to guest speak at churches, right? Be- become kind of this itinerant preacher. Uh, he would venture out from his isolation to go preach at churches. Kind of became like this traveling pastor type of type of setup. Turgesine is kind of an example of what is sometimes referred to as Mulheim sermons. This was a group of sermons that were preached, and they would sometimes be re-preached through Germany during this time. Germany had become quite dry in its theology, its heart for God. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons for why, you know, the birthplace of the Protestant Reformation by the 1700s is having a pretty hard time. And yet, this is not that surprising. When we look at these places, it's very common. You know, the Puritans came to America in the 1600s, in the early 1700s. They're going through a dry spell as well. England has different dry spells that we've talked about. This is something that happens. You know, we we like to look back at these Christian countries and go, and they were always Christian, but they have these spells where it would have been actually hard to find a real believing, genuine heart follower of the Lord in some of these quote-unquote Christian areas, you would have had a lot of people paying lip service that didn't really care about it in their own personal holiness. Yeah, while you're going through that and you're kind of seeing the established church do all these things, men like Turgesine would have come to town or come to your village and they would have started preaching sermons like these. And they would have been the men who woke up the souls of the people there and helped bring Christ to them. Christmas Evans, John Owen, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Charles Spurgeon, so many of these great men will kind of come into these dry and dying places and help rekindle and revive a little bit of what is there before it all goes fully away. And yet so often many of the great heroes of faith that were used to wake people out of their slumber and kind of get 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 wood back on the fire before it completely dies out are forgotten. Like Turgesine, we just don't remember them anymore. Yet they, it was these sermons preached in small meeting halls among small groups of people this is and when times were not easy for the gospel, these are the places and these are the ways that the great revivals later on would be uh, able to grow so big. It's because of the work of the men who aren't remembered, your Turgestine. The Gospel of Christ, which is the joyful news of His birth, life, sufferings, death, resurrection, and ascension, is in one way quite different from any other history. In the case of the other histories, we need only read and remember them, and then we know all that is to be known about them. But the Holy Spirit tells us that the Gospel is what other histories are not. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is a power felt by the heart a power by which the heart is made happy, blessed, and safe forever. Faith in the gospel of Jesus is connected happiness, everlasting happiness. If we are talking about everlasting happiness, it's something we cannot take lightly. This gospel is preached to us in the words of the text. I will now explain to you how, by the news of Christ's death and resurrection, the many hindrances to salvation are removed out of our way. Godliness and the true faith of Christ have many hindrances. 
which proceed from our unbelief and from our ignorant reasonings. Often, almost always, it happens to us as it did to the dear woman who were going to the grave on Easter Day. A difficulty appeared while they were on their way. As they went along, it struck them that a large stone was lying on the mouth of the grave. They said, Who will move away the stone from the door of the tomb? You must observe that this difficulty never struck them till they were on the road. And although when they were on the road did it strike them, they did not turn back. Yet when they came to the grave, the stone and the difficulty were both gone. So it happens with all the difficulties which our unbelief or our little faith throw in the way of our conversions. By the true gospel of Christ, all these difficulties are taken away, as the stone from the door of the tomb. I will speak of some of these difficulties, of some by which many souls are hindered and kept away from conversion, kept from God, from Christ, and from salvation. I will also tell you how these heavy stones are moved away. First, one difficulty, and a very heavy stone it is, is the great weight of sin, the damning power of the law, and the wrath of God on account of our sins. The sinner thinks, Ah, I have so many sins on my head, such awful sins. I have sinned for such a long time. I have committed this or that fearful sin. My accusing conscience gnaws at my heart. It torments me. It leaves me no peace. When I think of God's justice, of God's anger, I am terrified. Oh, who will take away the stone from the door of the tomb? This heavy, heavy stone of sin, which lies upon the poor heart, crushes down the conscience and leaves the sinner no moment's rest, no moment's peace. Sinner, if this stone weighs upon your heart, if you truly feel the heavy burden of your sins and you do not go to seek Jesus and to turn to him with all your heart, I tell you that this stone can never, never be taken away. It will stay there. And not only so, but it will also become heavier till it sinks you into despair, into the abyss, into everlasting destruction. But if you are really earnest about this sense of sin, and if you really long to be delivered from that accusing conscience, from the curse of the law, from the anger of God, and from the defilement of sin, then turn to Jesus. Then I can say to you in the name of God, as the angel said to those dear women, don't be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. How then can this stone be taken away? By those mighty words, Christ died. Christ died, dear soul. So do not despair. When Christ died, his death, his precious blood, paid the everlasting price for you. Christ, by his death, paid the mighty debt completely. He took upon himself that curse which Adam called down upon man. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. He took upon himself the curse of the law. Sinner, you have sinned, and you are cursed, but Christ has become a curse for you, so that now the penitent soul, the soul that toils under the burden of sin, may be assured that in Christ all the burden, all the curse, are taken away forever. There is no more curse for the sinner who has come to Jesus. O soul, do not go here or there for help. Go to Jesus only. Jesus died for sinners. He died specifically for those who go to him and seek help from him alone. Do not let people comfort you in any other way. 
do not let them say to you that your sins are not so bad. This will not remove one grain of the heavy burden. No, instead, plead guilty and say, Yes, my God, I have deserved death. I have deserved hell. All is true, my God, that is said in the law to condemn me. I have lived in this and that hateful vice. I have done abominable things. I have offended you, a just God. My God, I plead guilty in your courtroom. But Christ died for me. To his death, his blood, his great atonement, I look in faith, and I look to that alone. For every penitent soul who feels the weight of this heavy stone, fly to the open arms of the mercy and love of God in Christ, waiting humbly, waiting in faith, and waiting untiringly till the great power of that love is felt. Until by the power of the death of Jesus, peace comes down into the weary heart, and the stone is taken away from the door of the tomb. Further, there is a second difficulty, another stone which often lies heavily upon the heart of the sinner. The sinner thinks, God is a holy God. How dare I come before him? How can I venture to pray? How dare I draw near to such a holy God when the soldiers were watching the tomb and only an angel appeared to them? They fell to the ground as if they were dead. Even those dear holy women were frightened when they only saw the presence of an angel. The holy John, the dearest, the very dearest of all the disciples of Jesus, when he saw Jesus in his glorified body, fell down like a dead man. If God then is so holy a God, what will happen to me if I go into his presence? How can I stand in his sight? Who can dwell in the devouring fire? Who can abide in the everlasting burning of his glorious presence? Sinner, this is all true. Not a word of it was a lie. We dare not trifle with the holiness of God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is a consuming fire to all the hypocrites in Zion. Who will become firewood in the flames? So long as you are not seeking Jesus, so long as you remain out of Christ, I tell you this stone can never be taken away. It must lie upon your heart forever, and nothing awaits you but a fiery wrath which will devour the adversaries. But if what you feel is a true sense of sin, if you feel that you are altogether unclean and unfit to appear before God and will give yourself up entirely to Jesus, then I can say to you as the angel said to those frightened women, do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus. If you seek Jesus and come with Jesus, you do not need to fear the holiness of God. Why not? How can this stone be taken away? Answer, Christ died. Christ, by his sufferings and death, opened for us a free and unhindered way to God, to that very same holy God, not only a way into his perfect glory and blessedness after our death, but also a way into his blessed presence here during our earthly lives. When Christ died, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. The Holy of Holies was thrown open. Under the old dispensation, Anyone who touched the Ark of the Covenant, which was most holy and where the glory of God was seen, was at once struck dead. Whoever went into the Holy of Holies, where it is a high priest himself except on the Day of Atonement, was a dead man. But now Christ has died. Now all truly penitent sinners, through the merits and sanctification of the blood of Jesus Christ, have boldness of access into the holiest place, into the nearest and closest communion with God. 
having therefore boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say his flesh, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Every believing soul who is determined to have nothing more to do with sin can, through the sufferings and the death of Christ, notwithstanding its unworthiness, go close to God and rest in him with all confidence of a little child in the arms of a tender father. Oh, let us use this blessed privilege more than we do. Christ died, and so the holy God, before whom the angels hide their faces, has become our joy and delight. We need no longer fear and tremble before him. We can come. We may come. We will not die. We will not be consumed by his holiness. In love, in faith, in prayer, we may go into the holiest place, and there we will learn by our own happy experience that the holy God is honored by his believing people as a dear father is honored by his children, that the holy God has no terrors to those who draw near in faith looking to Jesus. There is a third difficulty, another stone which often stands in the way. The sinner thinks, Satan has such a great power over men. My cruel enemy, Satan, holds me so tight I cannot possibly get away. The world holds me tight. This and that ungodly companion hold me so tight I cannot get free. Now who will take this stone from the door of the tomb? How will I ever get rid of it? Sinner, if you are not seeking Jesus, and if you do not give yourself up entirely to him, I tell you this stone will never be lifted from your heart. But you will remain in prison, and Satan, the jailer, will keep you there forever. It is true that Satan has all unconverted people under his rule and in his power, groaning under his tyranny. He keeps them here in his kingdom of darkness. So long as you do not give yourself up to Christ, there is no help for you. You must follow the devil all your life and go to him at your death. There is nothing else for you to do. But if you are hungering after Christ, if you are heartily seeking Christ, if you honestly desire to be set free from the power of the devil, then do not be afraid. Christ not only died, but also he is risen again. And by his resurrection, Christ is exalted above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Look, by his resurrection, our dear Savior has gained the victory over the devil and over all the dark devilish powers of hell. When the dear Savior died, the devil thought, Now I have conquered him. Now I will keep men in my kingdom, under my power, in my clutches. The wicked world, the rulers, the Pharisees and scribes were glad also, and they thought, Now it is all over with him. Now the people can no longer run after him as they did. Now they will have to follow us. Now we will have it all our own way with them. They thought the time had come when they might abuse and revile him with impunity. Ah, they said, this deceiver, when he was still alive, in three days I will rise again. Christ was now the deceiver, the seducer, in their eyes. But what did they say on Easter morning when Christ rose again? And the soldiers brought them the news. And what did the devil feel when he saw the king of glory burst through the doors of the grave and come out in a glorious body into a glorious life, completing the redemption of his people from the power of Satan forever? 
The devil and his armies must have fallen down then as Dagon did before the Ark of the Lord. Are we seeking Jesus? Are we truly giving up ourselves to him? Then we need not fear the devil. No, nor a whole army of devils. Let us fear Jesus and own him as our captain and our leader. That which Moses said in the name of God to Pharaoh, that Christ now says to the devil and his armies, Let my people go. Pharaoh wanted to keep the people. He had no idea of letting them out of his slavery and releasing them from their heavy burdens. God sent him a message. Let my people go. Look at how the devil, the Pharaoh of hell, begins to resist. He too will not let souls escape from his kingdom, from his power. He will keep his subjects to be his miserable slaves. But Jesus, the risen one, says, Let my people go. It is now my people, and it is now my purchased possession. You have had them long enough in your service, in your clutches. Now you have no part or say in the matter, no claim upon them, no right over them forever. Let my people go, so they may serve me. When Pharaoh saw that the people of Israel were really in earnest, that they actually were going away, in fact that they were already gone, he thought he would have one last attempt to get them. He would, after all of it, get them back into his power, or else he would drive them into the Red Sea, and there would be an end to them. In the same way the devil does when he sees that a soul is really in earnest about getting away from him, he flies after it. He uses force or fraud or any means he can think of to get the soul back into his power. He says, you will find it impossible to get away. You will find endless difficulties. You will have to give up this and that pleasure and be always denying yourself and making your life wretched. It is much better to give up the whole thing altogether and follow your natural inclinations. Do what you find pleasant and not trouble yourself any more about all this. Besides, the devil continues, if you begin, you will never be able to finish. You will soon realize it is not the best way, so it is not worthwhile to start with anything which you are sure to give up. But dear soul, I charge you not to go back. The Lord will make a way for you and bring you safely to the end. Do not stay arguing with the devil about it. Moses did not let the people of Israel stand and fight with Pharaoh. Moses said, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you, and you will hold your peace. This is just what we must do. We must let our risen Savior fight for us. With him we go forward and go straight through all the trials, and our enemies are put to shame. Just as Pharaoh, with all his armies, was drowned in the Red Sea, while the children of Israel went through and sang a song of victory on the other side. Therefore do not be afraid. Take courage, poor soul. If you feel your bondage and come to Jesus to be freed, neither Satan nor the world can hold you. They must let you go. Christ will deliver you, and you will be victorious. Turn then to the risen Savior. There is another stone, another difficulty. It is this. The sinner says, I have such a bad heart, such a wicked nature. I have lived in sinful habits all my life. I have grown quite hardened in sin. My sins hold me so fast I cannot possibly leave them. If I were to try my best, if I were to take endless trouble to cure myself of them, nothing would come of it. I should stay just as I am. The next temptation I have would be too strong for me, and I should fall into sin just as before. Who will take away this stone from the door of the tomb? Sinner, if you only say this as an excuse, and if you are not earnest, if you are glad to find a reason for continuing in sin, and if it is a relief for you to say, It is my nature, I cannot help it, 
then I tell you plainly, you cannot help it. The stone will lie on your heart forever, because you do not really wish to have it taken away. But if you do wish for your heart to be freed from your sinful nature, your wicked habits, your chains of vice, and if you wish to leave them all, every one of whatever sort, gross vice or hidden sin, great sins and small sins, if you truly wish to be set free, hear this news. Christ is risen. When Christ arose, he broke all the chains which held him in the grave. And by his resurrection, he breaks all the chains which hold us in the death of sin. When a sinner becomes aware that he is held captive by sin, and when he sees in himself evil habits and wicked ways which he cannot shake off, let him go to God for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, through which every chain is broken in which the soul can possibly be held. Paul says, Sin will not have dominion over you, because you are under grace, because you have given yourself to Jesus. If you see your weakness, if you see that you cannot mend yourself, Open your heart wide to receive the resurrection power of Jesus, and he will come into your heart. He will cleanse you and deliver you, so the stone will be taken away. You will be made free, no matter how strong your chains are, nor how long you have been held tight by them. Fifth and last, there is one more difficulty, one more stone in the way. The sinner thinks, after all, holiness is a very unpleasant thing. Christian people are a very wretched sort of people. I am always hearing about their afflictions and their trials and their crosses. Very often, it seems as though the more pious people are, the more misfortunes and miseries they have in this world. And besides all their outward afflictions, I hear them talk about their inward temptations, their trials of faith, and so on. Altogether, it seems to be the most miserable thing to be a Christian. Now, this is indeed a very heavy stone lying at the door. It is a misgiving that many people cannot get out of their minds. Who will take this stone from the door of the tomb? Answer, Christ is risen. Christ, before his resurrection, was a despised man, a man of sorrows, a man of grief. Oh, how sad a life he led during those years on earth. But he is risen. Then all his sorrows was at an end forever. All his sufferings were over. He had overcome and was victorious. See now, dear friends, how Christians should look at sufferings and sorrows when they are afflicted or mocked at or despised, they should look at Jesus. Jesus, who, though he might have been enjoying perfect happiness, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12. 2. Let us consider Jesus and the glorious end of all his sufferings. Let us hold tight to this risen Savior, and through him, we too will overcome. As Paul says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Whatever happens to Christians, or whatever might yet happen, should never frighten us. The stone is taken away by these words of power. Christ is risen. Do you think you should be better off than Jesus was? Besides, all these things which seem so dreadful to you are, after all, for a very little while. All the Christian's outward and inward troubles all his shame and contempt and everything else which may befall him are only troubles which lay just for the moment. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worked for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Yes, even now, out of every cross, every sorrow, every shame, every disgrace, every temptation which the Christian has, a glory flows out and he can rejoice by faith in all these things. 
And when that day comes, when the everlasting morning appears, we will see all these things transformed into eternal glory, eternal beauty, and eternal joy. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by John Rayner. John has been a commercial radio announcer in America, Samoa, since 2006, where he and his wife Allison have four children. John is also the host of a daily devotional called The Pre-Game Proverb, a biblical way to start the day. You can find out more at pregameproverb.blog. If you enjoyed this episode of Revive Thoughts, we encourage you to share this episode, send it to a friend, tell somebody else about what you're learning here at Revive Thoughts, share our recent interview with Joel Berry, share some of the other recent great episodes we've been able to do. And I also want to encourage you, uh, go check out our other shows as well, especially Martyrs and Missionaries. Elise has been very uh, yeah, uh, consistent lately since we have been moved and we have gotten to a new place. She's put out a lot of great episodes and I think her content is just really fantastic. If you enjoy Revive Thoughts, you will absolutely enjoy Mars Missionaries. So go check it out and go listen to some of her incredible stories. This is Joy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts.